Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. The 2022 NBA season has just wrapped up, but the 2022 NBA content certainly has not, as the NBA draft is just two days away at the time of this recording on Tuesday afternoon. So, of course, I had to bring back my co-host of the Draft Deep Dives, Tyler Metcalf, to talk about the draft because, you know, we're almost there. We're almost there, Tyler. So how are you doing this fine Tuesday afternoon? I'm fantastic. I'm excited. We got two days. Rumors are swirling. Everyone's trading everything for everyone. Um, no, Everyone is somehow simultaneously untouchable and available. Um, I, it's the best time of the year. I'm so excited. It's smokescreen season. It is in full <laughs> It's two days until the end of smokescreen season, and we see how the dust and the figurative smoke actually settles on draft night. But we're we're almost there. It's going to be an exciting time, and there's definitely a lot to talk about. So let's start off by talking about the top five in this draft, because we talked last week about our lottery breakdown, our picks one through 14, and we'll go through the rest of our first round a little bit later. But I just wanted to start off by talking about the top of the draft. And as you mentioned, rumors have been swirling. It is smokescreen season, and... The odds for the Orlando Magic's number one overall pick have narrowed in fascinating ways just over the last few days from Paulo Boncaro being way out of the running for the pick, according to the Vegas odds, to now it's seeming like a much tighter race between Jabari Smith Jr., Chet Holmgren, and Paulo Boncaro for the Orlando Magic with the number one overall pick. So... Tyler, I know that we both agree on having Chet Holmgren as the top prospect on our respective boards, as we talked about last week. But I have to admit, you know, I started the season with Paulo at the top of my board. I still have him at number two on my board. And I think it is fascinating that all of a sudden it seems like out of nowhere he has roared back into the discussion for the Orlando Magic. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you think the top pick and the top three are going to shake out on Thursday night? I still think it's going to be Jabari, Chet, Paolo in that order. Just one, two, three. Um, yeah, the, the the betting lines are really fascinating and just a lot of fun to watch because every morning it's like, oh, that's significantly different. But mm-hmm. th- th- those are also reactions to where the money's going and Vegas, you know, hedging their, you know, quote unquote bets and making sure that they're turning a profit. So and it doesn't surprise me that the Paolo trend is you know that where there's money going there because that's a lot of value where the odds were and you know let's just say some some wealthy duke alumni who see their 610 prodigal freshmen um having incredible value they're like yeah hey let's let's start throwing some money on this and see what happens and then the lines start to move so i i would be really surprised if paulo went first i believe as of recording this he still hasn't worked out with or met with the magic and i think that would be a bold move by the magic to not meet with their number one overall pick um so you know i i, I like paulo a lot he's third on my board um i i still think it's just going to be jabari chad and paulo as a Kings fan, I'm vaguely obligated to hate on the Lakers at all times, but a lot of this <laughs> making, as you mentioned, with the Duke stuff, feels like every single season Lakers over under, where it's like three wins higher than it probably should be because Vegas knows where the money's at, right? The money's with the Laker fans, exactly. and I'm willing to bet there's a lot of Duke money going to Paulo number one, as you mentioned, but... 
I don't know. I mean, it is still interesting just how dramatically the odds have changed, but I'm yes. definitely with you. I mean, I think it is pretty clearly Jabari, and if it's not Jabari, then it's almost certainly going to be Chet for Orlando. But, you know, there is certainly some reasoning behind why Paulo might go number one. Our colleague mm -hmm. Alex has Paulo at number one on his board, and with Orlando, what they need most is an offensive superstar, and Paulo has pretty good chance of being that. So, you know, I get the logic behind it, but I think that this is, you know, a part of smokescreen season, just giant smokescreen for the number one overall pick. I think it's Jabari and it's probably been Jabari for a while, but it is interesting to see, you know, how the odds have shifted on that front. Maybe it's not quite as cut and dry as I have thought it was, you know, over the past few months, but well, past few weeks, really, since Orlando got the number one pick. But it is interesting to see how those lines have moved. Yeah, and it, it is really interesting. I believe Jabari's still the favorite at like minus 150 or 250 or something like that. Yeah, he's still um, the favorite. Yeah, and you know, I, I never really fully bought in that like once the Magic won the lottery, all those reports immediately came out of, oh, Jabari's the pick, it's done. I'm like, oh, I don't think it's that set in stone. And, you know, there have been conflicting reports that it's been Jabari and Chet that they're going back and forth, but leaning towards Jabari. And oddly enough, I kind of like the fit of Paolo and Chet in Orlando a lot more mm -hmm. than I like the fit of Jabari. Um, so I... I, I I don't know. I, I would still lean Chet number one. Well, personally, I would go Chet number one. I would be pretty surprised if it wasn't Jabari at this point. Um, but if it ends up being Chet, I won't be shocked. If it ends up being Paolo, I'll be pretty surprised unless we get some breaking news here in the next 24 hours that he has some in-depth workout and meeting and tour of the city and dinners with players and all that kind of stuff. Well, there is certainly still time for more smoke before the actual NBA draft happens. But yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week. I really believe in the top four in this draft and really the top six, honestly, on my board in this draft. So it's not like I would be stunned if it ends up being either Paulo or Chet instead of Jabari. But given that I have Jabari fourth out of the top four, you know, I still am very in on him as a prospect, but I definitely would strongly agree with you that I would pick Chet if I were Orlando, if I were in their situation. But, you know, there's a lot of reason to believe in Jabari, especially since I think he might have the highest floor of that top four group. So, you know, if Orlando just wants to make sure, okay, you know, we really, really still believe in Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner had an amazing rookie season for us. You know, maybe we just want someone who we know is going to fit in rather than taking a swing. I mean, I kind of, I kind of see the logic from their point of view, even though I'm not as in on Jabari as some people, I'm definitely not out on him. I'm just not as right. bought into him as I am either Paulo or Chad. Yeah. And I, I think, Jabari's oddly the safer pick earlier in his career. I think he'll kind of help accelerate their trend back up towards, you know, the middle of the table, like mediocrity. Um, I don't mean that to sound as insulting as it comes across, but you know, he's going to be able to defend and he's going to be able to shoot. I'm very confident in those two skills. Yes, and you know, at, at worst, that's a really good starter. The skills that need to really take him over the top and get to that all-star threshold, you know, that's ball handling, that's on-ball creation, that's getting to the rim whenever he wants, that's, you know, having this dynamic mid-range game. Um, you know, I think some of his offensive 
limitations have been a bit overblown, but he's still a really far ways off from doing that in an NBA offense. And I'm not sure that he's going to be able to be the guy to really ascend the magic um, to, you know, legit playoff contenders. Whereas in the long run, I think Paolo and Chet both do a better job of that for them because Paolo is that primary creator for them or could be that primary creator for the magic and then backed up by Wendell Carter or Mo Bamba if they bring him back um, where they already have a couple pieces in place where they don't really have to rely on Paolo defensively. And then they automatically get this offensive creator out of the block. Now they may struggle a lot earlier in his career as he figures that out with NBA defenses. But in the long run, I think that gives them a much higher upside. And then kind of the, almost the exact same thing with Chet. He's the best rim protector to come out of college since Anthony Davis. He's doesn't have to take on the more physical, physically imposing centers because Wendell Carter's there too. He can space the floor. He can move the ball. I think he's just scratching the surface of what he is offensively. So similarly to Paolo, the early stages and the learning curve might be a bit steep, but then once they get over that, I, I just think the ceiling of where they could take that team would be so much higher than, you know, the likelihood of Jabari doing the same. All right. So we talked about our respective lotteries picks one through 14 on last week's episode. And so this week, before we really dive deep into the smokescreen part of smokescreen season, I wanted to wrap up both of our first rounds. So going picks 15 through 30, we'll go a little faster than we went with one through 14 last week. And Certainly, I know for a fact that there are some picks in my 20 through 24 group that are way higher than consensus and will probably shock you. Maybe not as much as Nikolaevic at 12, maybe more than Nikolaevic at 12. <laughs> we'll see when we get there. But last week, we each talked about our respective 15th players on our boards, but we'll go back over them. And then, of course, the rest of that 15 through 19 group. So I'm going to start with my 15 through 19 group, and then you can go ahead and give yours and let me know if any of these seem wild to you. Although, again, my 20 through 24 group, you'll probably have some comments, but I think 15 through 19 is relatively close to some kind of consensus anyway. So 15, Mark Williams out of Duke. 16, Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor. 17, Jaden Hardy out of the G League Ignite. 18, EJ Liddell out of Ohio State. And 19, Tari Eason out of LSU. Yeah, I'm... I, I'm higher on Sohan and Williams than you are, a uh, little lower on Jaden Hardy and EJ Liddell, but they're all in that, you know, same kind of grouping in the teens to, you know, just barely in the 20s. So, yeah, no, no, nothing too shocking there. Um, I, I think there's a lot of value, and it could be really fascinating to see who from that kind of middle group of like that those mid first rounders really breaks out because there are always a couple and just which ones end up, you know, not quite making it. And the reasoning for that in a couple of years, I think is going to be really interesting to look back on. Yeah. I think out of that group, Jaden Hardy probably has the highest breakout potential. I mean, I think that his offensive upside, given his shooting yeah. and shot creation, he could really just blossom into a superstar. And especially given what we saw over the second half of the season from him in the G League, he showed a lot of improvement over the course of that season. And, you know, he was playing against professionals, right? He wasn't playing against NCAA competition. So definitely of that group, I totally understand why you're lower on Jaden Hardy. You know, he's the kind of prospect that I 
often struggle to evaluate, but I think of that group, he might have the highest breakout potential. I mean, especially given that, you know, with Williams and EJ Liddell, those are two guys that I'm very confident will be solid NBA players, yes. but I don't think they have the same kind of all-star chances as Jaden Hardy. But let's flip it over to your side now. Who do you have 15 through 19 on your board? All right, uh, 15, I have Usman Jang, 16, Ochai Baji, 17, Max Christie, 18, Gabriel Prochita, and 19, Jaden Hardy. So a, a little different than yours. A little bit, yeah. Well, Prochita, I have higher than consensus, but not quite as high. <laughs> I mean, I get it. There's a lot to like about him. And spoiler alert, we will cover him on my board later on in, in this podcast. So, you know, again, not too far out of left field in my mind. Hardy at 19, I totally get. I mean, you know, just slightly lower than I have him still in that late teens kind of range. Yeah, yeah and he, he's just got such wide variance, at yeah. least for me, where if he doesn't even make it to a second contract, I won't necessarily be shocked. Um, if he ends up being an 18 to 22 point per game scorer, I won't be necessarily shocked. Um, I... I worry about some of like the athletic limitations he has, but I really liked how he adapted more into an off ball player later in the season. And then how he used that to kind of leverage and create on ball opportunities. So if he can get into a system that uses him as a two guard and they definitely don't try to use him as a one or primary guy, I I'm way more optimistic in his long-term um, returns because I, I just, I also don't think he's ever going to defend. Um, but if he's scoring like, we hope he ends up scoring um, defense isn't going to even be mentioned. So. Yeah. And then 17 Max Christie, I do not have Max Christie as a first rounder, um, but you know, I get why you're as high on him as you are. I'm not quite there. I think probably that's just mostly you buying into the shot and the defense a little bit more than I do, but you know, he's your guy. So go ahead. Why are you, still so high on Max Christie going into the NBA draft. Um, I, I'm, I'm just betting on the talent, the the length, the foundation of who he is as a defender and a shooter. I trust the mechanics. Um, I trust the footwork defensively. Uh, I trust that he never lost the faith of his teammates or coaching staff throughout the season and started every game or almost every game. Um, I, I just think he's that, exact archetype of what you want from a three and day wing it's going to take some time i kind of expect him to be a disaster as a rookie um but once he gets stronger once he slows the game down mentally i i think there's just so much there to like yeah he's someone who i think is similar to hardy and having very high variance i mean yeah. there are, there are a lot of ways i could see it not working out with christy there For are sure. a lot of ways i could see Three, four years from now, we circle back, and I look like an idiot for having him so much lower than you did heading into the draft. I'm very excited for that day. <laughs> you know, we can also uh, circle back to Alperin Shengdun on that day so I can get some balance. I don't know who that is. <laughs> who, who, who's this man? Who? Sorry for this man. Who? Anyway, uh, moving on to 20 through 24, I'm going to let you go first especially since the guys I have at 23 and 24 are probably going to be shockers. But I know that you believe in at least one of those two guys, although almost certainly not as much as I do. But let's hear your 20 through 24 first, because I'm, I'm fascinated to hear who you have sort of in the final 10 pick range of the first round. All right. Uh, starting at 20, I have Jalen Williams, EJ Liddell, Tari Eason, Patrick Baldwin Jr., and Christian Brown. 
Okay, so the only one of those guys that I don't have as a first-round pick is Christian Brown. I have him okay. slightly later on in the second. But mm -hmm. again, you know, I I get it with Brown. I mean, he's someone who, you know, has shown a lot this past season as a shooter, had one really rough shooting year his sophomore season, but other than that has been a solid shooter, is someone who plays good defense, was just on a national championship team. So even though I don't have him in the first round, it's not that I don't believe in him. It's just that I have guys that I believe in more than him. But I mean, right. I totally get why people have him in the first. And, you know, I think I'm definitely further away from consensus than you are on Brown. You know, I think it seems... At this point, he's probably going to be like late first round, early second round. And the fact that I have him mid-second round is, I think, lower than most people. But I get I get that uh, ranking for him, for sure. Yeah, and I, I was just so impressed by the improvement he showed over these last couple of years. And it, it's kind of a similar case to Ochag Baji, very different players. But Brown kind of came in as a freshman as just this lethal shooter. And then teams caught up to that and just started running him off the line his sophomore year. And he couldn't really do anything after that. I think that's why the overall impact and shooting percentages and efficiency just plummeted. And then this year, the shooting percentages jumped back up to, I think, like 39% from three or so on good volume. Um, but then he proved that he can attack closeouts and do something off the bounce. He's still a little iffy finishing at the rim when there's traffic. Um, he's like very dependent on like two foot leaping. Um, but he, the, the, the playmaking and the at rim finishing out after attacking closeouts, I thought took a significant jump this year. And that's so important. We've, I've talked about it, you know, we'll, both of us have with, can you just run the shooter off the line? Yes. Okay. Well then he's worthless. No. Okay. Now we're talking about a guy who can play in the league. Um, and, and then just the, defensive intensity and competitiveness and the way he scrambles. Um, I, I thought was just really impressive this year. All right. So I am very much looking forward to your reactions to 23 and 24. I think my okay. 20 through 22 is not as wild as the last two, but we'll see how it goes. So <laughs> 20, I have Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky. 21, I have Uzman Jang from New Zealand Breakers. Mm -hmm. 22, I have Marjan Bochamp out of the G League Ignite, who I know you're lower on than I am by quite a bit, but I don't think he's as wild as my 23 and 24 anyway. No. 23, well, you don't even know who my 23 and 24 are. Right, I, I just meant he's not wild for like being top 25 or whatever. I, I, I'm well aware that my Marjan eval is well in the minority. Fair enough. Kind of like my evaluations for <laughs> the 23 and 24. So... 23, I have Iverson Molinar, and 24, I have Alondis Williams. I, okay. I can't I can't drop them out of the first round. I, I love them both too much. And they're wildly different players, but, I mean, I just believe in both of their abilities to be solid, competent ball handlers who have very different but pretty decent floors as backup point guard types who might even grow into something more if Williams can turn the shot around and if... Molinar is the shooter that I believe he is, namely the shooter he was his first two years in Mississippi State rather than the shooter he was this past season. And you brought up something to me when we talked about Molinar a little while ago that he had a hitch in his shot that sort of developed over this year. And when I rewatched the film, I was very concerned by it, admittedly, I'm not going to lie, but... There have also been rumors, and you know, again, I don't have sources, so I'm not going to pretend I have sources. But you know, there have been rumblings that he had a shoulder injury, which made his shooting motion, you know, were hampered by the fact that he had a shoulder injury, right? And I think that 
given the shooting touch that he's displayed in the past, given his incredible free throw percentage, I'm willing to buy into this past year from three-point range being a shooting aberration. But again, I know that I'm wildly higher on Molinar, so, you know, take it as you will. And then 24, Alondis Williams, for very different reasons, but kind of a similar concept in the sense that Alondis Williams is so fantastic at getting to the rim and scoring around the basket that I have no qualms about him continuing to be able to do that at the NBA level. And, you know, if you have him as a backup point guard for someone who's like a rim charging type point guard, like, you know, not anymore, but like prime Russell Westbrook or prime John Wall, someone like that, I think he would make a lot of sense as someone who I think has a pretty decent floor for success, given his incredible ability to score around the rim and might even blossom into something more if he can continue to turn his shot around, which wasn't great this past season, only 31% from three, but that was a dramatic improvement over his first few years in college. So I don't know. I don't feel like it's ridiculous to believe in the upward trajectory to the point where he is a low 30s three-point shooter at the NBA. I don't think he's going to be much more than that, but I think low 30s is within range for him. And given his ability to get to the basket, I think really all he needs is for defenses to at least look at him when he's behind the line. But again, I know those two evals are wildly different from consensus. So I'm going to let you go ahead and skewer those. What are your thoughts? No, so I, I, I like both those guys and I'm not super far off even though you know they're, they're there's about a 20 spot difference on our boards between them um but that 25 to 45 range for me is it's razor thin margins between yeah. a lot of these guys and i adore how Iver- iverson molinar plays basketball um i love his decision making and scoring ability once he gets into the mid-range um i think he's really pesky on ball defender it's fascinating that you were more put at ease by the shoulder injury, and I was more concerned by that. And okay, that's I, fair. I, I I got like a lot of like Markel Fultz flashbacks of wait, what happened to the jumper? Oh no, what is that? Oh no, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I don't know. I I I don't know when the injury occurred. I don't know whether he was playing hurt or if it was like an off season thing, and then it's just due to discomfort. That's what developed um so i i oddly would have been more put at ease if it was like i tried a new shooting thing and it didn't work I'm like okay cool jump back fix this um but if it's like oh now it's, is that a physical limitation is it like painful to not do that um so i i was just a little we thrown off by it um and just a little kind of oddly concerned um Alondis, I, I legit don't know what to do with him because his rim pressure numbers as a point guard are incredible. The highlight playmaking is incredible. He throws some of the most ridiculous passes in this class, but then at the same time, he throws some of the most ridiculous passes in this class. Um, so the, the the brilliant is very close to the absurd and the amount of turnovers that he generates, um, unforced turnovers, is kind of alarming. I'm not sure what he does without the ball because I don't trust the shot really. And if I'm playing him, I'm telling my defenders we're short closeouts all night. If he hits five threes, he hits five threes, whatever. I don't care. Uh, What we're not doing is giving him a free lane to the, to the rim because then he's dunking or finishing Like he's, he's going to score. So I, I'm, I'm just not as sure what he does without the ball. Um, 
but I, I do really like him. I really like both those guys slotting in as a backup point guard in the league. And if they can find the right spot where they actually get minutes to do so, I, I think they're going to return some really encouraging value. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I do not buy into Alondis Williams off the ball at this point. I think really my main thing there is just I was encouraged by the fact that he increased not only his percentage from three, but also his attempt rate that he showed he was willing to at least put up a few of them per game. And, you know, again, all he really needs to do, given the kind of pressure he puts on the rim and given the kind of playmaking he can do when he's not throwing the ball, you know, out of bounds slash into the 10th row, when he's not doing that and given that he at least increased his attempt rate from three-point range, I'm willing to buy into, you know, by year two, year three, him at least being like low 30s on a few attempts per game, enough so that, you know, as you said, defenses aren't just going short closeouts, let him make threes all night, and if he hurts us, he hurts us. If it gets to the point where he actually is hurting you by doing that enough times, then I think that really unlocks the rest of his game, and... He's not there yet at all. I don't want to oversell here, but he's trending in the right direction. And if he continues to trend in the right direction, then I think he could be really, really dangerous. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really like the upside play. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops because he is an older guy. We we don't age shame. We're not ageist around here. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is a factor when projecting guys' development. So, but then again, at the same time, it seems like everyone improves at least somewhat as a standstill shooter at the minimum. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not ruling it out. It's just more so the decision-making combined with that. That's got me a little like, hmm, what, what is this guy really going to be? But the, the creativity, the playmaking, the athleticism, it's all really impressive. All right. So now let's go 25 through 30 to close out the first round and, I think you're going to be very pleased with the player that I have at 30, even though you might not have him as high, but let's go through it. So I'm going to start with my list at 25, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. You already mentioned him. You have him 20 on your board. I'm slightly lower on him, but still think he's a first round pick. Yeah. Uh, 26, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Again, you already listed him. I also could not drop him out of the first round, yeah. even though he did not have the greatest not season good. at Milwaukee. Uh 27, I have Jake LaRavia out of Wake Forest. Yeah, I I think that's, he's pretty close to end of first round consensus at this point. 28, I have Gabriel Pachita, who you already mentioned. Again, really buy into his three-point shooting, his athleticism, his ability to be a high-caliber rotation playing wing pretty quickly at the NBA level. 29, I have Kenny Chandler out of Tennessee. I still buy in enough to have him as a first-round guy. I think that his turnover generation as a point guard and his peskiness and effort on the defensive end don't entirely make up for him being six foot, but, you know, I think he's going to be someone who isn't at all a turnstile on the defensive end. You know, I don't think he's going to be all defense caliber defense, but I think he's going to be good enough on that end. And he showed some really promising signs as an on-ball creator this past season at Tennessee. And then 30, I have Musa Dibate out of Michigan. I just think, yeah, there we go. The people who are listening to this, since it is an audio medium, did not see the gigantic fist pump that Tyler Metcalf just made. But I just, I really buy into Musa Dibate's defensive potential. He could be something absolutely special on that end of the floor. And offensively, he has enough complementary skills to get by early on. And if he can really build out his jump shot, then 
he becomes someone who could be dangerous on both ends of the floor. But I have him as a first-round pick purely on the strength of his defense, which, you know, sometimes he has lapses, but on the possessions when he's on, he is on. And he could be just such a dangerous switch defender as a four at the NBA level that, you know, even though there's a lot of holes to his offensive game, there's enough there that combined with his defense, I'm I'm all the way in. I have Mr. Diabate at 30. I, I love that so much. I'm I, I'm a coward. I have him at 37. Um, he was right on that. Like he was almost like right at 29 between 29 and 31 for 90 percent of the season for me. I, I think he's just going to be such a project that I I hope he goes first round because I I love him. The athletic tools you mentioned. I think he's going to be a nasty defender. He just doesn't really know what he's doing yet. Um, and you know, either that's a huge red flag or like, oh, awesome. This guy's just a ball of clay. We can mold him into whatever we want. And I, I, I lean more towards the ball of clay, um, because of that motor, that work rate, the defensive versatility. I'm just not sure what that actual offensive threshold is that he gets to. It'll be fascinating. Um, I, I don't really buy the shot, but if he can kind of be more consistent with offensive rebounding or cutting or rolling, uh, stuff like that, he wasn't necessarily put in a lot of those situations because he was playing with Hunter Dickinson, who's just a massive human being and did most of the screening. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love him. I, I think he's like one of the ultimate lottery tickets in this draft. Uh, a couple others, I, Kennedy Chandler, I have a 33. I view him basically exactly what you said. And then Jake Laravia, 35. Um, I, I really like him. It seems like a lock that he's going first round now, um, probably somewhere in the mid-20s. And I, I was just a little concerned with how he kind of disappeared from games at times. Um, I don't love that, but his two-way versatility is really enticing. So I, I, I definitely get people being higher on him than I am. So who are your 25 through 30 guys? All right, 25, I have Dale and Terry, Ty Ty Washington, Christian Coloco, Bryce McGowans, Ryan Rollins, and Trevor Keels. Okay, so that's that's an interesting list for sure. The highest of those guys on my board, I have Dale and Terry at 33. I totally get it with him. You know, he's someone who's a longer-term project, but the flashes that he showed down the stretch run of the season are really enticing. He's someone who might even go earlier in the first round if a team really buys in on him. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty much with you on the Dale and Terry evaluation. Coloco, I have at 36. So, you know, basically beginning of the second round rather than end of the first round. So not too much of a difference there. Bryce McGowan's I have at 38. So again, very similar, you know, top of the second round kind of guy who, you know, the offensive upside is really special with Bryce McGowan's. And it admittedly took me a while to come around on McGowan's this season, but his second half of the year, his shot selection was so much better than his first half of the year. I was really, really encouraged by that when I went back and looked at the film. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, pretty solid crew right there. Ryan Rollins, I have a little bit lower. It's really not as much about not believing in him as it is believing slightly more in some of the guys ahead of him. I mean, you said this already, but, you know, I would say the 20 through 45 range rather than like the 25 <laughs> through 45 range. Like, really, it's strange because I super buy into like the top half of the lottery in this class. You know, I said earlier, I really buy into the top four. I really buy into the top six on my board. And then there's kind of a gap in the middle where it's like, there are a lot of lottery ticket swings here. There are a lot of people who could be like, eh, you know, solid role player type, fifth starter kind of type, but, you know, nothing all that special. And then the like 
20 slash 25 through 45 range it's like you could put a lot of those guys in almost any order and i would be totally cool with it because you know there's very little margin separating those guys and so i think that'll make it fascinating to look back on this draft in hindsight because you know as you said earlier there's always someone who breaks out that we don't expect right and I think with this draft, there's a really, really good chance that someone who goes late in the first, maybe even early in the second, turns out to be someone really special who you know, a lot of people, a lot of people missed on. So, I don't know. It's it's very hard to sort of evaluate that group. So I said I had Dalen Terry at 33. I'm curious, who were the guys who were hardest for you to leave out of the first round on your board? Oh. Um... Kendall, not really Kendall Brown, but just given the way he kind of started the season, I would say Kendall Brown. He would have been my pick for this. I have him at 34. And okay. you know, that, yeah, I have him at 32. Yeah. So um, similar kind of deal. It's like feel bad dropping him any further than that, but there were rough sides down the stretch run of the season. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Peyton Watson, I was tempted to just based on potential. Um, and I, I think he has way more to his game than what he was allowed to show at UCLA. Uh, Moussa Diabate, I talked about earlier. Um, Marjan Bochamp, I, I've talked about it a ton, but I, I just can't get a grip on him um, eval-wise. He's just going to be one of those guys, this class, where it's like, I, I, if I miss on him, I miss on him, so be it. And then Blake Wesley would probably fall into that. I'm a little more confident with my eval on Blake Wesley. He's just not the type of player I kind of enjoy um, or I think leads to prolonged winning basketball. I expect him to vastly outperform where I have him on my board. That's fine. I think I'm even lower on Wesley than you are, so I mean, I totally get that. <laughs> But I mean, I think the odds are good that he's going to go somewhere in the first round. And if it's somewhere in the 20s, I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to at least understand it. Yeah. If Blake Wesley goes in the lottery, I am going to be very confused. That's that's all I will say about <laughs> Blake Wesley. <laughs> yeah, I, I that that feels like the safest route to go. All right. So <laughs> now that we've gone through our first round, let's quickly wrap up by diving deep into the smokescreen season so there are a lot of trade rumors flying around as there always are the week of the nba draft and we're going to start out with the one that i cannot talk about in an unbiased fashion so i'm going to let you go ahead here there are a lot of rumors swirling around the Sacramento Kings and the number four overall pick, especially, you know, I've said many, many times that I think there's a pretty clear top four in this draft. I think consensus might argue that it's really a top three of the top three big men that we already talked about at the top with Chet, Paulo, and Jabari Smith Jr., which means that there are a lot of teams that are rumored to be asking the Kings for that number four pick, presumably to take Jaden Ivey. And there's also been a lot of rumors that the Kings are enamored with Keegan Murray. Tyler Rucker and I discussed the Keegan Murray dilemma for the Sacramento Kings recently over on NoSeeingsNBA.com. So please check that article out if you haven't already. But yeah, again, there's no way I can talk about this in an unbiased fashion. So I'm going to let you go ahead and start us off. What are your thoughts on all the rumors? And I mean, all the rumors swirling around the Kings at number four overall. Oh God. They're about all, all the rumors. There, there are about 8 million of them. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I meant. <laughs> so I, I guess let, let's just start off with if they stay at four, it seems like they're going to take Keegan Murray. Um, at least if it was up to ownership, uh, there, there, there are some rumblings and mentions that ownership is really high on him. And now it's, you know, 
higher ups are high on Keegan Murray. Um, and at the same time that those are coming out, there's also news of Jaden Ivey hasn't even talked to the Kings, which is concerning if you're a Kings fan. Sorry, Nick. Um, to not even talk to them and being labeled as it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world um, isn't ideal. Um, I, I, I don't get it because I, I don't love the fit. Um, I, I kind of like it, but I, I think you just take Ivy and you move on with your day. But if he is adamantly steering himself or his agent is steering Ivy away from Sacramento and they want nothing to do with it, then I get not taking him, even though I would just kind of bite the bullet and say, screw it. We have the draft pick. We're picking you. <sighs> Man, I, I, I just I, I don't know what direction they go. I've heard Chris Duarte in six. I'm I, <laughs> I don't love that. Um, there are John Collins rumors. I, I don't love a John Collins Domas Sabonis defense. Um, but, you know, in terms of player value, that might be one of the better ones. I don't know. I, I don't really love any of the options. Honestly, one of my favorite might just be if Detroit was like, hey, let's swap places and we'll send you a first round of whatever protected first round pick in the future. That That honestly might be my favorite to go with. Yeah, so I will start off by saying that I very strongly hope that the Kings do not trade the pick. That is my stated preference. That being said, if the Kings do trade the pick, the situation that I would be the most comfortable with is if Detroit decides they desperately need Jaden Ivey, which, I mean, I get it. Jaden Ivey would be a ton of fun and make a ton of sense in Detroit, and I think he makes a lot more sense in Detroit than he does in Sacramento, even though I'm with you that I'm not as out on the Ivey fit as some people are. I am a decent fan of the Ivey fit. I mean, yeah. ultimately, I think the Kings should just stay at four and take Ivey, but if there ends up being a trade, you know, I really like Keegan Murray, too. I have him fifth on my board i think that he would work really well in sacramento and if detroit offers a serious haul to move up a slot to guarantee that they get Jaden ivy and the kings you know get some assets and also pick up the guy that it seems like they enjoy the most in this draft in keegan murray i would be fine with that if it's chris duarte and six for four i would be upset I will, I will say that I will be upset if that happens, and I will not go into it much more than that. But with the Jaden Ivey thing, I mean, it certainly seems like his agents would not want him to be in Sacramento. That being said, first of all, Sacramento is not the worst situation. Is maybe the nicest compliment that a draft prospect has given to the Sacramento Kings in years, so I mean, I'll take it. And second of all, you know, on a more serious note, I mean, Davion Mitchell had no idea that the Kings were interested in him last year. Tyrese Halliburton had no idea that the Kings were interested in him the year before. Monty McNair, certainly from his time in Sacramento, it seems like he pretty closely adheres to the Daryl Morey philosophy of in-person workouts are at least as much, if not more, noise than value. So I'm not as concerned that Ivy has not had a workout in Sacramento the fact that he hasn't talked to them is slightly more concerning. Yeah. But again, this isn't something that would be, it would not be entirely out of character for the Kings to select Ivy despite having not talked to him, given that they just did that with their top 10 pick last year. And Davion Mitchell's worked out pretty well so far for Sacramento. So I wouldn't be too upset about that. You know, again, I also would be perfectly happy with Keegan Murray. I would prefer Jaden Ivy, to be clear, but I would be perfectly happy with Keegan Murray. If the Kings trade back to six and neither Keegan Murray or Jaden Ivey is there, I will I will not be pleased. I'll say that much. And 
if some of the other rumors that I've heard, like the Knicks trying to trade for number four, I don't know what package the Knicks would come up with for the fourth overall pick that would not make me want to throw things. So I'm going to stay away from that one. But again, my strong preference is the Kings just stay at four. And I think that's a really good position in the draft for them, honestly. I mean, if one of Chet, Paolo, or Jabari falls to fourth overall, I think the Kings should run up to the podium and take that guy. If all three of those guys are off the board, I think Jaden Ivey is a very strong choice and would be great for the Kings at fourth overall. And if they go with Keegan Murray instead, you know, again, that wouldn't be my personal preference, but I'm perfectly happy with that. I think Keegan Murray makes a ton of sense. I think he's a very solid prospect, and I think that would make a lot of sense in a lot of ways for the Kings. I would not be upset by that at all. If the Kings trade back a slot to fifth and pick up you know a real asset not like a protect protected second rounder or some something like that you know if they get a future first or maybe even someone like Sadiq Bay for moving back one slot I think that would be a pretty solid trade and you know one of the few trade scenarios that I've heard or seen that I think would be worth it for the Kings but there are so many bad moves that they can make with the fourth overall pick and I just desperately hope that they don't make one of those bad moves yeah I'm selfishly for content's sake, I I hope they do something just completely wild on draft night. But (laughs) um, yeah, I hope the Timberwolves trade Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards for number four there. How are you feeling now, huh? Okay. Well, have have, have fun matching those salaries. Um, Yeah, it'll just be fascinating because just not even talking to the guy feels weird. I, I, I agree that in-person workouts don't really teach you anything. Uh, maybe other than the guy's work ethic or conditioning or how seriously he's taking it. Um, but you, you know, you're not just there to walk you're, for the guy to work out. You're there to have dinner with him, to talk to him, to get to know him, to get f- to figure out who he is as a person and a player. So just that in-person connection, I think there's a lot to take away from that. The fact, so it, it, it's weird that they just haven't done it. Um, I think it makes a little more sense when you're at the back half of the lottery and you end up taking a guy that you didn't necessarily have in for workouts. Uh, but when you have a top four pick and you're not doing it, it's like, okay, these guys are supposed to be the franchise changers. They're the guys who turn things around, who are your cornerstone going forward. And you're just going to go off tape and rumors and what you've heard from other people. I don't think that's the best strategy that you can employ. So I, I, at this point, I think if they stay at four, I would bet on Keegan. Uh, Ivy would probably be my second choice, just based on how 90% of draft boards look. It's it's just been a weird, weird process. Speaking of weird, weird process, the other team in the top half of the lottery around which rumors have been swirling, the Portland Trailblazers. And Maybe I'm biased as a Kings fan, but I think that number seven is a lot more likely to be moved on draft night or even before draft night than number four. I think there's a much higher chance that the Trailblazers get an offer that they like for number seven than that the Kings get an offer that they like and are willing to take for number four. So what are your thoughts on potential Portland trades at number seven? It'll be really interesting. They've been linked with basically every athletic six eight wing in the NBA right now. Um, it sounds like the OG Ananobi stuff is overblown and it's really not like he's not available per se. Yeah. Um, Scotty Barnes would disagree with anyone who thinks that OG Ananobi is in trade rumors. And um, I, 
Jeremy Grant for seven, that feels like a lot. Um, and if I was Detroit, I'd do that in a second. But if I'm Portland, I'm like, is that it? Like, really? That's kind of it. And so and the, the, that whole front office, um, or at least Joe Cronin, just got a, a four-year deal. So he's not exactly being rushed, but I understand the Dame timetable. So it also wouldn't shock me if they just took Shaden Sharp, who's the young, one of the youngest guys in this draft, and was like, hey, we're going to pair you with the with Damian Lillard, one of the best point guards in the league. Um I personally like Dyson Daniels there a lot. I love that fit. I just, I, I don't know what the, the trade is where the number seven pick is actually bringing back actual value where, you know, I, I think Jeremy Grant's a nice player. I'm, if I'm the, the trailblazers and looking to rebuild potentially um, instead of just a short-term band-aid, I kind of like the seven pick a little more. So it, it, it'll be really interesting I think there's, you know, 95% of this stuff is pure nonsense. And just because a team calls, is like, hey, is Joel Embiid available for trade? No. Oh, okay. Well, then now we get a report. The Atlanta Hawks have called about Joel Embiid. So it's like, mm, have they really? So it's like, well, they called, but they yeah, exactly. On the other end, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, 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 at this point, I kind of expect the Trailblazers to, um, just make the pick, honestly, because I I think it's it's a new front office, and either Dame is like, you know what, I, if you guys pay me, I like I can get on board and help this rebuild on the go, um, or move me, and you know you get a lot coming back in terms of assets that can then you know continue the rebuild. So I I think they're in an interesting spot where they have a lot of leverage and aren't really being rushed to make drastic changes or you know drastically turn things around unfortunately like the kings maybe i think that if i had to put odds on it i would say odds are that both the fourth pick and the seventh pick stay where they are that being okay. said i think the odds of the seventh pick moving are higher than the odds of the fourth pick moving Agreed. And the one team that I think is a wild card, which I've been thinking about over the past couple of days in particular, the Charlotte Hornets have picks 13 and 15, and they nearly made the playoffs last year. They would have made the playoffs had they not fallen apart down the stretch. And I wonder if they might decide, you know, we don't need 13 and 15. We are close enough to playoff contention at this point. I wonder if they might be a team that, you know, either moves out of the draft with one of those two picks or maybe takes a swing and tries to, you know, be a mystery team moving up to either four or seven. Now, again, this is a total wild card and trades are very difficult for the Hornets to work right now, especially with Miles Bridges, you know, due for an extension. And he's probably their most easily movable piece that they're likely to move. I mean, obviously, I think teams would love to have LaMelo Ball, but I think there's a 0% chance that Charlotte looks to trade him. So it'll be be interesting to see what Charlotte does. I mean, given the point where they're at in their franchise at this point, I think they might just decide, you know what? We like enough young guys in this draft that we're going to keep picks 13 and 15, take a swing with one of those picks, and given how every mock draft in existence has gone for the last five months, take Marco <laughs> with the other of those two picks. But, you know, I think they're in a fascinating position. And if Charlotte decides they want to make a move, I think they have a very interesting treasure trove of assets either to move up in the draft or move out of the draft. 
Yeah, and when I, I talked to uh, James Plowright on the No Ceilings podcast last week, and he was saying that Charlotte doesn't want to keep both those picks, where they, they're looking to consolidate those into either a player or 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 to move up. So I, I think you pointing that out is really smart and should be something people are paying more attention to. I know the, the Knicks at 11 are getting all this buzz about how they're trying to trade up. They don't have anything to move. Like, oh. I, Obi Toppin had a really nice second half of the year. I think he's a solid player. That in eleven isn't getting you to four. Um, yeah. You know, you're gonna have to, <laughs> you're, you're, they're going to have to throw in RJ Barrett, and they don't want to do that because he's former top three pick. Um, so I, I think Charlotte's really the one to look out for to move up and use those picks and maybe a PJ Washington who's had, you know, kind of a rocky road there in terms of how much they apparently love him or in this case, I guess are a little more hesitant on. So I I think them packaging 13 and 15 and maybe a player to jump to seven. um, I really like that deal for the trailblazers too, because now you're getting a power forward who can, who has some versatility and now you can, continue to add to the depth and potential with 13 and 15 with, you know, maybe a guy like Mark Williams or Usman Jang or Ojai Baji who has ties with uh, Damian Lillard. So I, from Portland's standpoint, I love that deal for them. And then Charlotte gets to take a huge swing on someone with a bunch of upside. All right. Anything else you want to cover here before we wrap things up? Um, no, I'm done writing for, for, for until at least next week. Um, but Go check out our live stream, No Ceilings live stream on YouTube on draft night. Uh, we're starting at 7.30 Eastern. Uh, yes, that's the time. Um, we'll, we'll be covering the pregame and then all the way till the end of the draft. So come hang out with us. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can find his work, of course, on No Ceilings NBA and hashtag basketball, as well as over at Canis Hoops. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my work on No Ceilings NBA and Hashtag Basketball, as well as over at Nets Republic. Please do check out the draft live stream that we will be doing over at No Ceilings TV. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'm going to be hosting for a little bit, so hopefully I don't screw up too badly. But it'll be a lot of fun. Draft night is always a wild and chaotic and very enjoyable experience. So come hang with us for a bit. And then... We will, of course, over here on the NBA Deep Dives podcast, have two more episodes left in this season. We will have a two-part wrap-up of the NBA draft on Monday and Tuesday of next week. And then we will start off our new season probably at NBA Summer League, or at least somewhere around that time where we will dive right back into the draft for next season it's a year-round cycle at this point for us now that we're over at no ceilings nba as well as at hashtag basketball so please check out all of our work if you've been enjoying our work on this podcast and our written work as well if you have the time please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using that is always much appreciated on our end And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.